Welcome to Dream Radically Podcast, a series brought to you by Foundation for Liberating Minds. Dream Radically is the need for those passionate about justice and equity to imagine the world they want to see, to envision a place that provides the societal conditions necessary for true justice to be the norm for all people. Join us as we embark on the journey of dreaming radically with community leaders, artists, activists, educators, and more. My name is Miles Francisco, and I'll be your host on this path of imagining. Let's dream. Welcome to episode 10 of Dream Radically Podcast. Today, we are honored to be graced with the wisdom of Sheree Dickerson, who is a force for good and justice. We discuss the path to freedom, communal healing, and lessons of community organizing campaigns for transformative change. This is the final episode of season one of Dream Radically Podcast. My sincere thanks to you for joining us on this journey. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review of this podcast wherever you're listening. You can also follow Foundation for Liberating Minds on all social media pages at Foundation4LM, as well as our website, foundationforliberatingminds.org, to stay connected with our work of dismantling systemic oppression. Dream Radically Podcast will be back soon for season two, so stay tuned. Keep dreaming, y'all. Keep fighting. Let's get into this episode. Reverend T. Sheree Dickerson is a native of Oklahoma. Reverend Dickerson is the founder and executive director of Black Lives Matter Oklahoma City chapter. She serves or has served on several civic and community advocacy board of directors. Some of those include Women's March National, OKC MLK Coalition, OKC Pride, the Diversity Center of Oklahoma, and she serves as board secretary of the National Association of Black Social Workers. She also was recently appointed to the Oklahoma Coalition for Reproductive Justice Board and is a founding member and advisory executive board member of the Oklahoma City chapter of National Organization of Women. She's a published poet and has traveled abroad performing her original works and Afro-Latina narratives. Cherie is an extension of her village of powerful women mentors and activist icons. She sat under the direct tutelage of the late Dr. Maya Angelou and the legendary Clara Looper, whom she just knew as Aunt Clara, who makes us do a lot of stuff. So welcome, Cherie, to the podcast. It's a real honor to have you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm really glad to be here. Definitely, definitely. You know, so this is the 10th episode of the podcast uh, and final for the first season and I thought what better way to sort of end this first season to have you, someone who's been so influential in organizing activists and artistic spaces in Oklahoma on the podcast. And, you know, just really want to talk about your work um, and what you do and what brought you here. So I, I think my first question for you is what brought you to founding the Oklahoma City chapter of, of Black Lives Matter? How did you get there in your life? Well, I truly believe um, that the universe and spirit always kind of ordains our steps and we come into divine appointment. And so really my involvement with the Black Lives Matter global movement started from a phone call from my friend and sister, Patrice Colliers, who's one of the founders of the BLM movement um, and the organization. She had been made aware of a situation that was happening here in Oklahoma City within the Oklahoma County Detention Center. And she said, we really want to put a chapter there so that we can focus around those issues and have someone to actually organize. 
And I was able to say, oh, my sister, yes, this particular situation is egregious, but the entire system um, of law enforcement, the system of injustice and oppression here within Oklahoma, especially Oklahoma City, is so much more dire than you know. And so once learning about our history and the current status, they really um, helped us expedite the process of getting the chapter founded. Um, and we had to jump immediately into the work. So my start was from a phone call um, and I'm yet to regret ever taking the call or answering it. So what does it mean to organize? You know, we, often in this podcast, we've talked about like community organizing and people often uh, identify themselves as organizers. So could you help us like shape what it means to be an organizer or to organize? Sure. I think every person has their own distinct and individual style of organizing. And I have gone through several different training sessions. I've gone through classes. Um, and with each organization, what they require or what they need um, is certainly different. But for me, it's one having to be aware of the environment and the culture of which you're organizing. So here within Oklahoma City, the African-American communities and by POC people of color, it is very unique being in such a conservative state and in conservative spaces. And so for us, we have to be aware of what is happening on both sides of uh, within the political arena, as well as what's happening within various communities. And to organize means that uh, simply you are helping bring strategy and action together. Hmm. So you are helping everyone give voice from their position, creating a platform, also helping with messaging, um, and sometimes also that means that we're planning and implementing direct actions or protest. And so that's just part of organizing. The other part is making sure that everyone feels empowered to be able to uplift their voice. Um, it means helping them figure out their own individual style of, of protest or speaking out, writing all of those different things. Now, I do want to clarify something because some people um, have the opinion or the assumption that if you are an organizer, that you are completely um, and extremely organized <laughs> in your life. And for me, I want to say that is certainly not indicative of, of my particular uh, lifestyle. Um, I sometimes feel like I have been assigned to a season of chaos and certainly a very hectic schedule and lots of havoc. Um, but being a radical, identifying as an abolitionist and revolutionary, you don't always worry about how neat or pretty the package is. Hmm. So we get in and kind of we're, we're gritty and we do the work. But organizing can be every Black mama that I know is an organizer. Every person of color that I know is an organizer because it means that they are putting things together and helping hold things together in their own individual lives and in their circles around them. So, you know, you talked about the ways that 
everyone within themselves has the potential to find their voice um, in organizing or community-based spaces. So what does it look like to sort of get that out of people um, and to uplift and then to empower them, whether it's young people um, or people of any age who are interested in, in, in doing the work, but are, are struggling to sort of find their niche or where they might fit in? Well, it's certainly my belief that every person um, that walks the face of this planet has value and a divine purpose and a destiny. And so each person's messaging and platform is different. One thing that I've learned that has been most effective when I'm helping someone kind of uh, customize or individualize their own particular style is finding out what do they enjoy doing and what do they feel like their special or unique skill is. Because a lot of times that's tied into, I believe, uh, what you are destined to do. So there I'm working with a young lady right now who is an amazing orator, but she prefers to do a lot of her messaging and speaking through poetry and through written space. And she's started honing that and she just absolutely loves it. So she also said, hey, I would like to help write script and write op-eds and be a ghostwriter for movements around Black liberation. Um, another young man, he is gifted in, in, he is very organized and he's gifted in analytics. And so he studies what's actually happening and, and does a lot of research and development um, and brings us data that we need to present, but also shows us the target communities and where we need to be doing what we need to be doing. So I think the universe and spirit allows us to be able to do things that we enjoy. Um, doing this type of work can be very heavy. It can be very tedious and draining. And, and sometimes it can be very heart-wrenching. And so when you are able to have the foundational core of doing something that you enjoy and you feel proficient in, it makes the work a little bit easier. And for me, it makes it a lot more rewarding because I have my own individual metric system that I gauge the product or the productivity of my work. So I think just finding what a person likes to do, seeing how they can fit in, because everyone has a place in liberation work, especially in Black liberation work and liberation around uh, Black women and women of color. Mm -hmm. So um, that also fits into reproductive justice. So I'm just excited um, and very humbled also uh, when I get to participate in a person's journey into organizing and coming into um, and being part of the movement. And this is the best time to get involved and to get started. And I think this is a time that a lot of people are mobilizing and, and really feeling the energy to, to get involved. But I think a lot of the time when you think of organizing or activists, you only think of the people who are up front of a rally uh, screaming into a megaphone. And I think it's important for people to understand that it's so much more than that. And I think as you really well put, whatever skill set a person has, they can bring that to the movement and can be useful um, for those liberatory spaces. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And this is, it is almost a very odd vortex that I feel like, especially that we're dealing with in this country, but the momentum is high and the demand for change 
equity and justice for marginalized groups and those of us that have been continually oppressed, often simply because of the melanin in our skin, for such a time as this. This surely is a moment. And we are watching those things just play out on a daily basis. And so I I feel very privileged to be amongst all of us that are doing this work and those that are being introduced into the world of movement work and fighting for for simply justice. So you you identified yourself earlier as a as a radical and revolutionary. And you also mentioned being in a state like Oklahoma as conservative as it is. So I wonder if you could talk about if that is a juggling act, I don't know if you juggle it or, you know, what that looks like for you and uh, identifying as you do. And also as a, as a visible Black woman in these conservative and, and repressive spaces oftentimes. So when I think of being Sheree and who Sheree is, um, I generally start out introducing myself um, and offering my pronouns, which are she, her, they, them. Um, and so I'm certainly not a conformist, and I, I appreciate those who follow a different path. But for me, being able to challenge systems um, and wanting to dismantle those that really confine, constrict, and were put in place or implemented simply to dehumanize um, and destroy the nucleus of the Black family, um, of community, that does bring, it can even bring internal conflict for me sometimes, because I always want to make sure I'm a third generation pastor's kid. And so I also want to make sure that I am never doing anything to tarnish the legacy of my parents and my grandparents and any of my ancestors. And one of my uh, greatest missions is always make sure that I am edifying everything that they taught me and I'm wanting to make them proud, even though they have transitioned into a spiritual realm and are part of the ancestral tribe. And so it, I don't think there is a book or there's no syllabus that tells us how to do this work. Um, we suddenly stand on the shoulders of some of the greatest souls to ever walk within this realm. And they left us amazing examples. Um, But it certainly is different. And 2020 has given us so many plot twists and sideswipes. I'm constantly just trying to make sure that I have my seatbelt on. I'm keeping my hands inside the ride when necessary and learning how to put my mask on first. Uh, literally and figuratively, um, to make sure that I am taking care of Cherie so that she is also able to take care of the communities that she's advocating for. Yeah, and that last piece is so crucial because oftentimes we can be consumed by the work um, and let it consume us to our own detriment. So in what ways do you sort of like practice healing or or you know, self-care is sort of like the buzzword in a way so that you're able to to show up as your full self in spaces and, as you said, for the communities you advocate for. Well, for me, um, and, and I want to say that I try to live very transparently and that I endeavor to do so um, in a way with integrity. Um, and so I have to be honest. 
up until maybe even just three months ago, I was very terrible at the concept and implementation of self-care. And being someone in my mid-40s, it wasn't even an idea or ideology that I really had heard of. Um, I saw my mother, my grandmother, my sisters, my aunts, and all those in my community, Black women, um, Latina women, who constantly gave of themselves to the point of depletion. And so I really kind of thought that that was just part of, that was part of a, a Black woman's journey. And so of late, I've had an amazing tribe that says, Sheree, you need to take the moment to take care of yourself. So I allow myself now to take naps, which was something that was foreign to me even um, several months ago. And I try to make sure that I am staying hydrated and drinking water. Some of my holistic healers and, and spiritual guides here constantly tell me how important it is to put in good and healthy food and, and liquids into your body. And so even changing my diet, um, and I'm learning about different herbs, different foods and, and, and superfoods, um, supplements. I'm now a fan of those apple cider vinegar gummies. And so I, those are just some of the small things that I do. But recently, I I make sure uh, that I take care of my dentition. Um, I had my dentist talk to me about how important, really, really consistent dental hygiene is. Um, and I told her, I also was aware that being able to go to a dentist on a regular basis was a privilege because so many people, myself included, don't, I don't, I don't have insurance because in this work, you often, you're not attached to a company or an organization that's able to provide it. I'm just very lucky that one of my dearest friends is a dentist and she says, I want to help you and this will be part of your self-care regimen. So doing that, I take a lot of walks, um, I journal, and sometimes um, I think my my guilty pleasure is watching the series called The Walking Dead because it is so far removed, well, it used to be so far removed from what we were dealing with now that it was, it was very, it was fantasy. Um, now, some days, in some of the areas that we're organizing in and working in, it, it seems a little bit too close to reality. Uh, but I just take a few hours and sometimes I take the opportunity to do absolutely nothing. Just sit in silence, um, listen to nature, close my eyes. And a lot of things that I do always end and begin with a moment of meditation and certainly um, me being a person of faith and being a clergy member um, I sure do pray a lot, and I pray very differently today than uh, than what I was doing a couple of years ago. And, you know, I, I bring it up because I think often for people who do this type of work, there's this thought that the various systems and institutions that we're fighting against are working diligently to continue to oppress us while we're resting. Um, and so there's this sort of like need um, or feeling like we need to continue working and to to continue fighting at all times, again, to the detriment of our own well-being. And I think resisting that is a part of resisting capitalism or this idea that 
we are only here to produce or only here to work and to be laborious. And I, and I think that's a crucial point is that we have to take care of ourselves and our community. I think, you know, that self-care or healing work is, is communal um, in order to, to show up in the best way possible and to show up and to be able to, to, to fight against those various institutions. Oh, for sure. I think everyone has their own definition for what they feel like capitalism is, what they feel like socialism is. And certainly we we also have the guide of what um, society has defined. But for me, being aware that as a people, we were we were brought here through the system of of capitalism um, and we're dehumanized and literally intentionally broken to become the basis and the foundation of the capitalistic systems. Um, they they brought us in to be able to create everything here. Um, and they did that on stolen land. And they had already um, tried to desecrate the systems that were much more socialistic, created by those of our Native American and indigenous sisters and brothers and two-spirit folk. And so... We also demonize capitalism and the definition and what it is really isn't something that has to be a negative, but it has been prostituted and it has been, um, my grandmother always said the system of capitalism right now is very vulgar. And I didn't always understand, but now it is a very vulgar and profane system that continually eats away. Um, and it certainly is about the rich becoming fatter off of the degradation and the labor of marginalized folk. Hmm. And certainly that includes our various communities um, and African-American and Black communities here, and certainly those that are also part of the immigrant system. I was just reminded of her saying that. And so I think I'm going to use that more, uh, mm -hmm. that it is a very vulgar and profane system. Yeah. Um, and so maybe um, I don't have to temper my verbiage as much as I used to, because my grandmother says that it's appropriate. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> you got the approval. <laughs> That's right. So what are some of the most important lessons that you've learned in your time as sort of this a leading invisible figure and organizer uh, with the, the Black Lives Matter Global Network, and particularly, obviously, the Oklahoma City chapter? One of the most important lessons that I've learned is to remember your purpose, but also to remember that never at one time have I not been aware that my purpose, my mission, even my desires of trying to exist are not tied to the liberation and existence um, of other people. And that to be a part of humanity, it is a gift. Life itself is a gift. And to remember that when we utter the words Black Lives Matter, it is much more than just a trendy colloquialism, that it is fact, and that every person that I am in community with matters, um, and that I need to offer 
service to them um, and to remain humble. So that for me, that's the one that I have to remember most. Um, also, my grandmother taught me, and, and so did, um, I called her Mama Maya, Dr. Angelou, that, that love is never wrong. Mm -hmm. Love is never wrong. And when it is authentic, it is at its purest state. Um, and when we try to attach other emotions or motives to what actual love is, that is when we also uh, step out of alignment and what we are supposed to do. And we sometimes become the ones that mess up the movement. Hmm. And so I've had to be mindful of that. And I try to work and be the example of that and that I welcome everyone into community with me. And I've I've never regretted. Another lesson that I've had to learn is that there are times when even those that you're very close to that you have held in community, there may be a time when there is a separation, not a severance, but a separation because there is a moment where each of you all need to be doing a different work. And so I, I try to make everyone mindful of that. And a lesson that I've learned is to also make sure that there are moments in everyone's day where they are able to love on themselves mm -hmm. and they are able to have some fun. Um, because part of this process, I think we all deserve to enjoy our journey, even in the midst of such heart-wrenching travail. So, you know, earlier you talked about working towards justice and the liberation of Black people. So what does justice look like in, in this moment, but but also, I think, as a whole for the various forms of, of hate that we're fighting? I used to think that justice would be defined by just peace being achieved. But learning that there are times when peace might not be appropriate, when there are deliberate intentions to destroy and so I had to learn the difference between peaceful and nonviolent strategy, ideology, and methodology. And so justice is very simple in, in some terms because it means that that which is appropriate, that which is right, and often that which is equitable because people think that we are arrogant are asking for too much when we say we are demanding equitable treatment. But for so long, those in black and brown skin have been belittled um, and have been given second class status and have been treated in such subpar manner that for things to actually be equal, equity is necessary. And so for such a time as this, as I've said, it is time to where we're getting a different and sometimes a larger share of what is being handed out. And yes, for me, that also includes the fact that we should be receiving reparations. But reparation is another call and demand for equity. And sometimes you just need more. I thought about the stimuluses that some people were able to receive. Well, everybody as a person received the same amount. Now, if your family was larger, you received a larger amount. And so that was an example of equity. But it also was a very flawed system because what I found out since I have a 17-year-old, my 17-year-old 
I think up until if they were 21, they did not receive stimulus monies, nor did their parents. And so there were a lot of us that were very confused because it was almost like you erased or ignored the existence of our child. And so this system here in America, uh, which was never created to treat all persons equal, which was never indicative or focused on people who were very much here and working and sustaining and building this country, we were not included in any of that. It was very much focused on white cishet men. And they still continue to hold a lot of the power structures. So for me, justice also means that leadership, power, finance, and even land and space is given back to those who originally owned it and those that worked and tilled it and created all of the structures that we see. For me, that's what justice looks like. It means that we abolish the jail system and the prison system, and that my brothers and sisters in melanated skin are released. Um, and we do we no longer see disparities between sentence and conviction, and we're no longer profiled and over-policed in our communities. And it should always mean that I never have to worry about my grandmother or my elders or ancestors being brutalized by a state-sanctioned violence and them saying that it is standard operating procedure or this was just part of protocol. So that's what justice looks like in my eyes. And it also means that my 17-year-old son and his friends don't have apprehension about getting a driver's license because they think if they don't have one, it will avoid negative interaction that could result in the end of their life simply because they're driving while Black. So justice means that the entire nation and each person also believes that Black Lives Matter and they work within the ideology of that. So last question for you, Cherie. Uh, the name of this podcast is Dream Radically Podcast. And the question that I always end with with all of my guests is what is your radical dream? Um, and and for the importance of organizers to continue to dream and to envision the society that they want to see. So what does that dream for you uh, in this current moment of, of turmoil and, and brutalization and, and hate? What does that look like for you? A radical dream for me uh, means that the reason why Black Lives Matter was created as an organization or a movement evolves into an organization that is able to focus on the empowerment of our people and not focused on the survival of us. Radical dreaming for me means that we really are able to coexist in spaces um, and that hate is no more because everyone appreciates one another and that love becomes the, the cord that binds us all. Um, and it's sad that I have to say that it has to be considered a radical dream. But for me, that's what it looks like. Um, it also looks like free college for each person who decides to go that route, free technical or vocational training 
for those that want to go into a more uh, specific and focused form of education. And for me, dreaming radically means that I'm able to have a unlimited flight pass to go and visit other countries. And we're able to share culture and experience with one another. And the world would just be simply a lot more fun, have a lot more love. And I think we would all sleep better at night. Yeah, that's good. Well, thank you, Cherie, so much for joining us today and for your guidance and for the work that you do within the community across the state in this nation, really, and for your leadership. You know, it's much appreciated. And I think I speak for a lot of people in saying that. Well, Miles, I get to hang out with a lot of amazing spirits, yourself included. I always count it a blessing. And again, I am very, very honored to kind of hang out with you today and help in liberating minds. You certainly have changed my life and I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dream Radically podcast presented by Foundation for Liberating Minds. Like and subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the work of FLM at Foundation for Liberating Minds on all social media platforms or on our website at foundationforliberatingminds.org. Special thanks to the Third Space in Norman, Oklahoma for providing the beautiful space to record this podcast. Be well and may tomorrow bring us closer to our radical dreams.